Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, we celebrate what God's doing in our next generation. Uh, If you're new to Connection Point, you should know that what you just heard, that's the heartbeat of our vision, is raising our kids and our grandkids really to outdo us in the faith. And the reality is, Uh, Middle schoolers, teenagers, elementary age students, they are up against challenges today uh, that even those of us who feel like that was yesterday for us, it's a whole different world. Uh, The suicide rate, self-harm rate, all kinds of uh, deception and self-harm are on the rise in the world, but we have, through the power of Jesus, uh, the ability to overcome that. Jesus said, um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we do that through the power of Christ. And I'm just so excited to be part of a church where raising the next generation is at the heart of what we do. I want to make sure you caught part of what Tony mentioned there, because we've got some deeper tracks available for middle school and high school students. And this is something unique to Connection Point. You won't find it at any other church anywhere in the country where we've got this initiative called Youth Worldview Training. Uh, And if you missed that, go to cp.news as a parent or grandparent, or if you're here as a teenager and you want to sign up, that's a one-week intensive uh, over fall break where our kids really learn who they are in Christ and then what the Bible says about some of the more difficult issues that they face in their real lives. In addition to that, we have every single week a deeper small group option. So when your middle or high schooler comes here for our weekend services, that's awesome, But just like we've got a deeper small group for you as an adult, we've got a deeper small group for them, but that's something that they need to opt into. Those typically meet on Sunday night, or some of them meet on weeknights in homes, and that's a chance for your son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter to go even deeper with other believers and knowing who they are in Christ. Well, hey, welcome to our Avon campus, and it is so fun uh, when I look out here at Brownsburg and there's hardly an open seat in the place. If you're here and you can't find a seat, we do have... Uh, a chapel setting where this is simulcast, and there's a couple hundred people over there typically. But also, you can always go to Avon. If you know anyone in Avon, Danville, Plainfield, that campus uh, is hopping. It's got great leadership, and we're seeing God do some incredible things there. Well, I want to give a shout out as we begin today to our educators in our community. I absolutely love our Brownsburg schools, our Avon schools, and uh, I know for Uh, For us as parents, the month of August is a lot, getting the kids back into school. And I cannot even imagine for you teachers and educators, um, we love our kids, but we're so glad to hand them off to you for so many hours of the day. I don't know if this has happened in your house, but uh, it's not uncommon in our house during this kind of school ramp-up time that one of the kids might get to the wrong place or at the wrong time or not have the right shoes or not have their lunch or something else. Uh, I'm guessing some of you can relate to that. It's a little bit stressful figuring out all these new routines. And uh, I saw a video the other day of a little guy who was swimming and he couldn't find his goggles. And I thought this kind of captures the essence of how so many young families feel in August. Go ahead and take a look, see if you relate. What do you mean? I need my goggles. 
I don't know if you can relate to that feeling. Uh, that is often me here in the month of August as all the schedules are changing and realigning. And, you know, for that little guy, the biggest giant he was facing in his life on that day at the water park was where are his goggles. And sometimes that's the giant we face. Life's just busy and uh, difficult and we're forgetting things. But as the years go on, we face bigger giants. And in this series, we've been talking about the giant that you're facing. We've been looking at the story of David and Goliath, and we're really asking this question, what giant are you facing right now in your life? Uh, maybe it's a financial giant. Maybe it's a relationship giant. Relationships are so hard. You can get two very smart people who love each other a lot, and they try to do everything right, and yet they still hurt each other's feelings. And there's times where our closest relationships can feel like a giant problem that we can't solve. Maybe you're facing a giant in your health. Or maybe it's in your inner life, anxiety or depression. Uh, your giant could be some change in life that you didn't want or you didn't expect or you don't understand. I know I've talked to some of our parents this week who dropped their kids off at college for freshman year of college, and they've conveyed to me the emotions of driving away from that college campus. And I, I cannot imagine, I think of my, my three kids, what that's going to be like for me and Mel. It's one of those things that you just... Uh, you don't really expect it, how hard it's going to be. Your giant is anything that hurts, any change that if you could have your way, that change wouldn't be happening in your life, but nevertheless it is. Here's the question we're asking today. What can you do when you're facing an intimidating giant? A giant that, you know, is not so easy to solve as, you know, finding your goggles because they're already on your head. If I could tell you today um, how to defeat the giant you're facing, whatever it is, if I could tell you how to get to the other side of what you're facing, would you want to know how? Uh, last week, we were in part three of this study of David, and if you've missed any one of these three parts, I, I think they're all kind of like building blocks, and we're, we're picking up because last week, David went to face his giant, and, and if, if you're just starting in the series, you might rewatch those because it's one thing to actually stand up and say, I'm going to face my giant. I'm going to stop cowering in fear. I'm going to actually face my giant. Now, today we're talking about how do you then defeat your giant? And we're going to jump right into the action here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. Goliath has been taunting David. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. You're going to bleed out on the ground here. There's an army of one million Israelites behind David, one million Philistines behind Goliath. They're facing off, and now, after they've taunted each other, Goliath starts to move in for the attack. This is the moment where, if you're honest and you put yourself in David's shoes, you think, what was I thinking? I mean, here comes this nine-foot-tall guy covered in metal armor. Uh, everyone knows he's killed hundreds of people in hand-to-hand -hand combat. I'm a shepherd. What am I doing here? And if David didn't have the foundational principles we've already learned, that he lived his life with his dial of his vision set on God. He had this big view of God. In every situation, he saw God as the biggest character. God is the biggest person in the room. And it's because David knows in this moment that God is bigger than Goliath that he quickly runs, not away from him, but toward him. David sprints 
toward his attacker. And then reaching into his shepherd's bag, we looked at this faithful preparation that as David humbly served with a big view of God, God was preparing him when he was a shepherd. And so this ability to run and and hurl a stone simultaneously, this wasn't David's first time. He'd done this thousands of times out in the field as a shepherd. He's got the muscle memory that with, with one hand he can reach in and grab the stone. He can place it in the sling. He can do all this while running because he faithfully prepared and he hurls this stone with his sling. It hits the Philistine Goliath in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath starts to stumble. He falls face down. I imagine some dust must rise up with how big of a guy this is. And it's this moment where two million soldiers are looking on and they're just on both sides like, what just happened? And here's our big idea today. What can you do as you face the impossible giant in your life? It sounds simple, but it's profound. Trust God and sprint. Trust God. In other words, if you run at your giant in your own strength, it's not going to go well for you. You can't skip the trust God part. But after you trust God and you're praying and you're asking God to be part of the situation, you know, don't mistake spirituality for inactivity. David didn't sit down on the battlefield and assume a yoga pose and say, you know, I'm I'm just going to pray that God will send a lightning bolt and uh, he'll just knock Goliath down miraculously. There's this divine balance in God's relationship with you. God wants to be involved in your life. He's waiting to be involved in your life. He's one prayer away, one step of faith away, and yet God expects you to put your own pants on in the morning. God expects you to do what you can do. And I just love the, the, the both and of this. God will do his part as you do your part with the big view of God. So think about your giant, trust God. And then run, that is, do what you can with what you have. You could put it this way, pray like it all depends on God. And then work like it all depends on you. This might sound real spiritual, and I guess it is, but what I don't want you to do is don't mistake this for religious activity. You don't have to come in here to pray. You don't have to pray some fancy prayer that people made up hundreds of years ago. Prayer is simply talking to God. It can be the last conversation of your day as you fall asleep. God, here's where I messed up today. Help me. I need your help tomorrow. Would you give me a good night of sleep? I've got so much anxiety. I don't think I could even sleep. I need you, God. And then as you're getting ready in the morning, Lord, I'm thinking ahead of the day, I'm going to need you for that meeting. I'm going to need grace as I deal with my spouse or as I deal with one of my kids. That's all that prayer is. It's talking to God. Pray like it all depends on God. In other words, every time there's an obstacle that I can't overcome, I'm talking to God about it. But then I'm working as if it all depends on me. I'm doing what I can. Our Youth Worldview Initiative, what we're doing with our young people is a great example of this. If you're part of the core of our church here, you know that we pray that God would capture the hearts of our young people. We pray constantly that 30 years from now, they'll be outdoing us in their faithfulness to God, that he'll protect them from evil. But we don't just pray and do nothing. We pray and we hire the best people we can find in the country and we build the best programs we can build and then we constantly assess and we constantly improve and that's just one example in every area of your life. Pray like it all depends on God. Work like it all depends on you. 
Now, I've got some stair steps here in David's journey, and I want you to think about something, because we think of David in this moment where he faces Goliath. It's this heroic moment. It's this kind of, seems like the pinnacle of the story. But here's the thing. Think about this. There was a first time that David ever prayed. And if you're here this weekend and you think, wow, John, that's all good, but that sounds a little, like, advanced. I'm just starting. There was a first time that David prayed. And even if it's your first time today or this week praying, uh, you can start to build this life skill, this spiritual habit of I've got a challenge, I talk to God. I've got a challenge, I talk to God and I ask him. I mean, I imagine when David, he works his way up to where a bear attacks his flock of sheep and he fights that bear off as a teenager. I mean, that's, that's kind of a miraculous thing, right? You could overlook that in the story. Normal teenagers don't go hand-to-hand combat with bears and win. So David had been working his way up. And in my experience, and we know from the Psalms where David writes out his prayers, part of this is, God, what do I do? God, show me the way. God, strengthen my hand. Make me skillful. God, give me what I need to do your work David grew at this, and wherever you are, whether you're just starting out with God, or maybe you've been walking with God for 80 years, you can keep growing at this, praying like it all depends on him, working like it all depends on you. Well, I want to wrestle with a difficult question today, and it's this. What about the times when you've been seeking God, but your giant still looks impossible? What about the times when, you know, you you look at your life and you say, I am praying like it all depends on God, and I am working like it all depends on me, but my giant still hasn't fallen. This is one of the tensions of the Christian life, and I want you to know as a shepherd and as a Bible teacher to you, that's a tension that I face. I'm pretty familiar with this tension where I'm following this play. I am praying. I am working, but the giant, you know, it, it hasn't toppled. What do you do? when that's the case, when you're not yet experiencing victory. One of my dear friends, he's become a second father to me and a mentor, is my friend Tom Stipe. This is him and his wife, Deb. I've known Tom for uh, eight or nine years now, and he's become kind of a second grandpa to our kids, and he and Deb have invested a lot into me and Mel. They've helped us in our marriage. They've inspired us as spiritual leaders. About 18 months ago, I got a call from Tom that he had cancer, uh, and it was colon cancer, which if you're familiar, that's one of the more deadly forms of cancer typically. Uh, And for quite a while, it it looked really impossible. Tom had a surgery where they removed a big part of his stomach, and it was a difficult surgery. His recovery from that surgery was a lot harder than we thought it would be. And through it all, I saw Tom continue to fix his eyes on Jesus. I saw him continue to trust God, even though it didn't make sense, even though he was in pain. As long as I've known Tom, his prayer for his life has been that he would outlive his wife, Deb, by one day. Because he loves her so much, he just wants to always be there to take care of her. And I've watched Tom go through this battle with cancer, not just as a normal person who's like, I'm afraid and don't want to die, but as a loving servant who's saying, God, sustain my life because I want to care for my wife every day that she's here on earth. And I've watched him on that roller coaster, and after that difficult surgery and difficult recovery, then there was a season where it looked like Tom was cancer-free and he was getting his health back, but then he started to get weak again. And about 
I don't know, probably eight or nine months ago, uh, he went back in and um, the doctors found eight more tumors on his liver. And so, so from then, probably last, uh, late last fall until now, I've journeyed with Tom. I mean, he's doing everything he can in his strength. They say, don't eat processed uh, meats. Don't eat foods and sugar. Uh, he's doing chemo. He's doing everything he can. And yet he's also praying like it all depends on God. But that doesn't mean that the cancer just boom, gone immediately. Now, I'm going to tell you more about Tom's story at the end of our time. But I want to ask you this. Where in your life uh, do you have something like that that you're really, you're trying to do it God's way, but there's not an easy solution yet? Where are you unsettled? Where do you tremble? Because keep in mind, these one million Israelite soldiers, this isn't just like a one-off battle where Goliath's going to fight one guy and then everyone's going to, you know, wave across the field and go back home. The Philistines are planning to come in and pillage and destroy they're going to burn crops. They're, they're going to enslave wives and children. They're going to kill all the men. This is life or death. And, and these, these men are trembling in the face of this. You know, maybe you're here and you have a giant like that where you just tremble. And last week, we saw this really profound, really profound insight in David's story that God didn't solve the problem the way everyone expected. Everyone expected this bronze metal armor to the extent that when David volunteers to go out, the king puts the bronze metal armor on him. David wears it for a minute, and he's like, this stuff's so heavy, I can't move. And we talked about the profound elegance of the slingshot, how brilliantly unthinkable and superior God's ways can be. Two million men, not a one of them would have thought, you can go out there against this nine-foot-tall guy with a little piece of leather, some twine, five stones out of the brook, and you can prevail. No one would have thought that. It was like God-level thinking. And that oftentimes in our lives, when we're facing a giant, we fixate on that bronze armor. We want the immediate healing. We want the immediate restoration of the relationship. We want the pain to go away right away. And often, God, it feels like he's not there, but what he's doing is he's, he's building a slingshot. He's, he's preparing a way that is superior, that is brilliantly unthinkable. And I know you're think, listening right now, like, that, there's no way. There's, there's nothing. That's how the Israelites felt. There's no way. I wonder, what is the shape of your slingshot? Your God-level brilliant, superior deliverance. If I could tell you definitively today, the, the shape of the slingshot that will drop your giant, that will defeat your Goliath, uh, would you want to know? What's the shape of that device? I've got a picture of it here for you. You see, in David, what we're really learning is not just motivational story about how we can go face our giants. We're learning that there are some giants in our lives that only God can face. And what you need to understand is what Jesus did on the cross was that he dropped the Goliath of death in your life. Maybe you're facing death or a loved one is. You need to know that if you're in Christ, if you believe in Christ, death is never the end for a follower of Jesus. It's a passageway into a much better eternal existence. And I know that takes faith. 
But what would be better, having cancer treatment for a thousand years or waking up somewhere where there's no pain, no sickness, no death, and that's not only true for you, but that's true for your kids and for your spouse. And there's no shortage of food, and there's no war, and there's no racism, and there's no evil. And it's scary for us to trust in a higher level of deliverance. It's scary because we've not seen it yet. We all tremble at death. The Goliath in the true story of humanity is death itself, and it's sin, it's shame. Think of, if you could have immortality in this world and you could live, let's say you could live for a thousand years here, but you constantly are having broken relationships and you, you constantly are, are dealing with shame and with sin. David ran to the enemy and it was this foreshadowing or this early picture of Jesus who, although God, came down into our world to face our enemy for us. And who, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas, and he knows that there's an army coming for him in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane, and they've got torches, and they've got clubs, and they want to arrest him, and they want to torture him, and they want to kill him, and he could have run the other way. He could have avoided them, but instead, what does he do? He walks right out to the battle line, because that's the entire reason he came to earth, was to fight the giants that you can't fight to defeat the Goliaths that you can't defeat. Here are just a few of his names. David is a, a picture of the Messiah. We often call him Jesus. He actually will be called later the son of David. He's the healer, he's the savior, he's the redeemer. And Goliath in this story is not just a picture of the one difficulty you face right now, but of the reality that your difficulty and mine, they're attached under the surface. There's an enemy of humanity. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that Satan came into this world to kill and steal and destroy. There is an enemy of your soul who wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your mind, wants to destroy your kids. And death exists because of how he deceived Adam and Eve back in the garden. Sickness and cancer, evil and pain and war all trace back to this one enemy. We live in a world that's corrupted by him. We're born into a world that we don't even realize is polluted by sin uh, in ways that, you know, I mean, think about it, no one outlives death. The wealthiest people, the most powerful people, they still die. We need someone who can defeat death for us. You know, the Christian message as Jesus brought it, you need to know this, it's not a burden to make your life heavier. It's not a bunch of extra rules. The message that Jesus brought is relief from the burdens. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you who toil under heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. What are the burdens that we carry? The burden of shame. We all carry that at times. The burden of death, we'll all carry that eventually. Every kind of death. Death of relationships, death of a loved one, death of a career, death of a lifestyle, death of innocence, death of peace, death of a season of life that you just wanted to, to stay in forever, death of a dream. All these burdens are the work of the Goliath of your soul, Satan himself. And Jesus came into this world as a spiritual warrior to face off with him so that where you can't defeat him in your own strength, you can simply receive 
the victory. And this is so important that you know for sure that in your life you've had a moment where you've believed in Jesus for yourself where you've received this. Uh, Forgiveness of your sins, eternal life in heaven, being adopted into the family of God, you don't have to pay money to do that. You don't have to do good deeds to earn that. In fact, you couldn't do enough. Jesus earned all that at the cross, but do you know for sure that you've had a moment in your life where you've received that? Uh, It's not super religious. It's actually just super humbling. It's getting on your knees, spiritually at least, and saying, God, there are things in my life that I can't defeat, but Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. I'm placing my faith in you. Do you know for sure that you've done that? Well, one of my favorite things in life is going to the beach. Here's a picture of one of my favorite beaches down in Florida. And uh, I'd ask her to raise a hands, but I mean, who doesn't love going to the beach? It's awesome. If the weather's nice and the sand is soft, um, man, I just love being at the beach. And I love walking along the beach barefoot when the sand is soft and the sun is warm. And something I learned back when I was a news reporter, and now I've seen it as a pastor, Uh, is that there are seasons in life that are a lot like this, Uh, especially families that live in the suburbs. There are seasons of life where the kids are healthy and there's enough money in the bank and the career's good and the sun is shining. There are seasons of life like that. And, And something I noticed first as a journalist and now as a pastor is that people will be in that season and tend to think life will always be like this. Uh, And and I'm not trying to take you to a negative place today, but I I do want to prepare you. Most of you know this. Walk long enough, and eventually the shoreline gets a little bit jagged. Here's what happens on the shore of my favorite beach. Uh, It's sand, and you're walking, and you can't fully see how jagged these rocks are. But from the way the salt waves um, have eaten away at the rock, a lot of these little uh, pockets, they're almost like razor blade edges. They're very sharp. And if you're just walking barefoot, um, you'll be going along, humming along, and and then you'll reach a place where some of those rocks are poking through the sand, and it hurts. And it's a lot like life. We're going along in life, and, and we didn't expect it, but all of a sudden, we get poked by depression, or by a broken dream, or by sickness, or by a strained relationship. You keep walking. This is one of my favorite little lookouts. To get to this place you got to put sandals on. You could not walk barefoot out on, out on these rocks. I've tried it. It's very painful. They're very sharp. And even with sandals, it's so uneven that it takes some focus to not tip over. And yet, you can still look out and see the ocean. You can look back and see the sand. You can look up and see the sun. And so, while it's a little uncomfortable, you know, it's not the end of the world. Keep moving in life, and sometimes there are things like what my friend Tom is going through, or some of you are going through right now, where you're losing a loved one, or um, the pain of divorce or something else is so deep um, that it feels like it's just all become jagged rocks. It feels a little more like this. I mean, you look around, and you're like, the ocean's gone. The sand is gone. Like, how did I get here? How do I get back where the sand is? is softer, where life is easier. I wonder for you right now, which of those four moments best describes where you're at? Maybe you're on the beach, and you're like, John, why are you even talking? Why are you reminding me that we all die at the end of life? Well, I love you enough to prepare you, that when you face that, you're not panicked. You're like, I've got a plan for this. 
I know when I breathe my last breath on earth where I'll wake up. Maybe you're on the beach. Maybe there's some rocks in your life. Or maybe you're in this dark place where it just seems like there's no hope. Wherever you are, I, I want to encourage you to understand this. All the pain in all our lives, it's actually all connected beneath the surface. It all goes back to what Satan did in the Garden of Eden when he um, misled Adam and Eve and he deceived them. They invited evil into this world. And this world, as much as we're attached to it, just like we're attached to these bodies, uh, it is broken. And it's ultimately, once you trust in Christ, it's not your ultimate end. It's not, this world's not your ultimate home. And I know it's a higher level faith, but I want to grow you toward that. I want to coach you toward that. I want to encourage you toward that. And so now as we continue looking at this story, I want you to see not just yourself running up to face Goliath. Now, God will give you the strength to do that with many of the giants in your life, but I want you to see Jesus running to face your Goliath for you. I want you to, to really understand the answer to this question, who will defeat death for us? I mean, Albert Einstein was brilliant, but he couldn't beat death. Steve Jobs, I'm so glad he invented the iPhone and Apple computer, one of the smartest people of our generation and era, and yet he couldn't defeat death. Who's going to defeat death for us? Who's going to defeat broken relationships for us? Who's going to defeat shame and depression and oppression for us? And it's the ultimate hero of the human story, Jesus himself. Let's look for him as we reread this. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. This is in Jesus' story, that moment when they come with clubs and torches in the night and he goes to his attackers. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurls the stone with his sling and hits the Philistine in the forehead. Did you know that Jesus described himself as the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep? Jesus, unlike David, was willing to actually be killed and then rise from the dead, proving that he can defeat death for you. I want you to notice something about this moment. It's probably something you've never seen before. I hadn't seen it until studying for this message. In this moment, Goliath is knocked out, but he's not actually dead yet. He's laying on the ground face first. Look at the next verse. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbles and falls face down on the ground. But we're going to see he's still breathing. He's paralyzed, but he's not pulverized. He's knocked down, but he's not dead. And this is pretty nuanced here, but this is the moment we're at in human history. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, Satan got knocked down. And Satan and his entire army of demons, they know that they are going to lose. But they're still breathing. And you can still see their activity in the world. The cross was foreshadowed by the slingshot. Have you received the victory of the cross? It gives you eternal life. You don't have to fear death. But it also gives you freedom from sin and from shame right now in this broken world. First John puts it this way. But the Son of God, that's Jesus. Why did he come to the world? To destroy the works of the devil. He wasn't here as a tourist. He wasn't here on a sightseeing trip. He came into this world to do spiritual battle with Satan. What are the works of the devil? To kill, to steal, to destroy, to take life. When you trust Jesus, Satan 
gets stunned in your life. He gets knocked down. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't ever have to worry about being possessed or controlled by Satan or by a demon. And yet, we're still in a battle zone. He's still breathing. He's, he's not yet vanquished entirely. Uh, Colossians 2 puts it this way about your shame, your sin, your guilt. Jesus canceled the record of the charges against you. Did you know there's a written down record somewhere in the universe of every sin you've ever committed, every evil you've ever done? What did Jesus do when he went to the cross? He nailed that record there and it says paid for. He erased all the charges against you, your shame, your fear, Satan's power over you. He took those things. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's Satan and the unseen realm. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is, this is pretty deep stuff, but this is awesome. At the cross, Jesus was defeating the ultimate Goliath. Now, here's where I'm going to really ask you to stretch your faith. And even if you're brand new to church, you can come with me on this journey, okay? The victory has begun, but we're in this moment where Goliath falls down face first. He's still breathing the Philistine army is still there. Look at verse 51. Then David, now this is going to be future for us with Jesus, ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. Now if you don't understand the kind of the violence of the culture at this time globally and in this region, this, this sounds horrific. It is horrific. But here's the thing. Either Goliath was going to die or all of David's family was going to die. It was one or the other. And sometimes you're in these choices in life of like, it's one or the other. And what does David do? He pulls out Goliath's own sword. He uses it to kill him and to cut off his own head. This guy who was going to come and burn their fields, enslave their spouses and their kids. And we know from this verse, Goliath wasn't actually dead yet because it said David uses the sword to kill him. Now, here's the thing. When we go through cancer, we go through difficulty. And we pray for a healing and we get it. And we're like, yes, and that's good. Those giants fall, those little giants. But the reality in this world, Jesus said in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've opened a way to another world. We call it heaven, the kingdom of God. And we get these little victories and we think, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm free and clear. But we don't even realize, and it sounds mean to say it, but it's loving to say it, You've got 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100 if you're super lucky. And by that point, you're so worn out anyway. <laughs> Life's not quite the same. So I want to show you this. The slingshot was a foreshadowing, a prophecy of the cross. Jesus has stunned Satan. It's clear he's got the power over him. He's going to win. But the sword, where Satan is going to be ultimately defeated, and with Satan, death will be no more, sickness will be no more, divorce, um, war, all suffering and pain will be no more. That will be when Christ returns. If you know your Christmas story, Jesus was born in a very humble setting, a manger in a peasant family, blue-collar life. When Jesus returns, he's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's going to come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And um, I know this might sound out there to you, but it's literal. There is a God. Jesus was God on earth. He's going to physically return in the future. And in that moment, he will behead death and evil 
and pain and suffering once and for all. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's something worth saying amen about because we all have pain in our lives and the people we love and care about do. And knowing that it will be defeated once and for all, sometimes that's our ultimate hope. That's what we cling to when we go through things that we can't understand. Revelation 20 talks about this moment in the future when Jesus returns. And it says this, then the devil who had deceived the nations. If you look at people around you and you think, how could they be doing that? How could they be saying that? How could they be making that choice for their body or their kids or whatever else? People are deceived. That's part of why we're here as followers of Jesus, to to let them know that they can have life through Christ. But the devil who's been deceiving humans ever since the Garden of Eden until now will be thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. If you've heard of the lake of fire, the point of it, the real person it's for is Satan himself. It continues. In Revelation 22, one of the final verses of the Bible, Jesus himself is talking and he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel, that means messenger, to give you this message for the churches. That would be us. And this is interesting because when, when Jesus appeared to um, John the apostle and gave him this, this was a thousand years after David. And what does he say? I am both the source of David. I created David. I gave him the power to beat Goliath. And I'm the heir to David's throne. Just like after David beat Goliath, then there was seven years of difficulty, and then David became the king of Israel. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. We're in this season of difficulty until he returns. He's going to return as king, not just of one nation or one generation, but all humanity for all of time. He says, I'm the bright morning star. I mean, imagine the surface of the sun. How how many things would burn up on the surface of the sun? Evil, pain, drought, uh, scarcity, suffering, anxiety, depression. It all burns up in the presence of him. And if you're on his side, rather than burning, it gives you life just like the sun does. I know this is a little deep, but I want to just give you a couple things out of this. First, how do you make it to that day if you're a follower of Jesus? Revelation says they persevered by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they worked like it all depended on them, and they trusted like it all depends on God. They believed in Jesus' work, not only past, but future And then they trusted, God placed me at this time in history for a reason. I'm here to raise a generation for him. I'm here to tell people about Jesus. I'm here to get more people in heaven. I'm here to set captives free from the enemy. Secondly, I just wonder for your life, where do you need to look to Jesus right now? Not just as someone who can kind of help you run up and defeat your giants. He'll do that for you. He'll help you with the lion. He'll help you with the bear. He'll help you with the challenges you face in your life. But even if you defeat all those things, eventually you're going to breathe a final breath on earth and you're going to need to know that someone stronger is facing off with death for you. Where do you need to look to Jesus? Salvation, rededication, look to Jesus and serve. You can live fearless in the face of death, hopeful in the face of suffering, forgiven in the face of shame. Well, I mentioned earlier about Tom and I told you about the cancer diagnosis, and then the first surgery, and wow, Tom's cancer-free. And then a couple months later, this huge setback. Man, eight more tumors, tired, fatigued. 
And just journeying with Tom and watching this man of deep faith say, John, I've always known my hope is in Christ, but this is harder than I ever could have imagined. Tom, who from the day I met him has told me, my life dream is to outlive Deb, my wife, by one day because I want to take care of her always. And this guy who, he's not just trying to avoid death for his own sake. Like he's a servant who wants to take care of his wife and his kids and his grandkids, and watching him go through this battle. I was talking with him this last week. He said, John, good news, the eight tumors, they've all shrunk through the chemotherapy and my diet. The, actually, the best surgeon in the country at Stanford for this particular surgery will be operating on him in about a week. And the surgeon's like, hey, I'm confident after this surgery, you'll be cancer-free again. And it's like, wow, that giant has fallen. And yet Tom is now wise enough, seasoned enough to say, I'm so glad for this next victory. But I also understand that even if I get full healing, I'm in my 70s. Like this world is not my home. And I really, it's like the healings are bronze armor. And the eternal life with a body that never has tumors, never needs a doctor, never has pain or sickness never is wronged, that's the slingshot. That's the elegant, that's the higher life. And so level two faith says, Jesus, you're gonna win in the end. And while I pray for level one healings in this life, and I'm sure grateful when they come because I don't enjoy pain, I'm ultimately trusting you for level two healings. Life everlasting is not a fantasy. In Jesus, it is reality. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. I know you don't want to think about death. It's my job to be a loving leader and let you know in this world, your body and mind will breathe a final breath thanks to Adam and Eve. In the same way, everyone who belongs to Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, will be given new life. It's guaranteed. I mean, it is as real as the chair you're sitting in right now. Like there will be an eternal life. Are you sure that you're in Christ? And then God says this, but notice there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was already raised as the first of the harvest. He's proof that he raises things from the dead. That's in the past. But that word then, from that semicolon then forward, that's in the future. In the future, all who belong to Christ will be raised when? When he comes back as king. After Jesus returns to earth, the end will come. When he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father. What's the kingdom? It's all the true believers in the world. Everyone who truly trusts in Jesus, no matter the name of their church or whatever, the kingdom, he'll hand it to the Father, having destroyed Satan, the demons, every ruler and authority and power, who, by the way, are are the source of all the evil in the world. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And if you're struggling with the loss of a loved one or you're facing your own mortality, you need to know this. The day comes when death itself will be beheaded. The last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Let me pray this for you today. Father, uh, it is heavy for us to even contemplate the reality that our bodies wear out. Lord, we look at the giants in front of us and they seem like the biggest thing we'll ever face. Yet if we look over the horizon, if we look at other people's lives, we realize there's a Goliath even bigger waiting when we breathe our last breath. 
And Jesus, we just want to thank you today that you ran to that battlefield for us. Thank you that your resurrection, one of the most documented events in human history, is proof that you can defeat death. And that you give this freely to us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to jump through hoops. We simply have to humble ourselves to receive it. So God, I want to pray right now for every person watching online over at Avon here in Brownsburg. In this moment, Jesus, we trust in you for our eternal life. We trust in you to forgive our sins. And Lord, where the giant before us causes us to tremble, we thank you that you're, you're for us, you're stronger, that you run to defeat that giant on our behalf. So we place our faith in you in a new way. We place our faith in you not just for a little bit of relief, but for eternal life. Freedom from shame. Lord, in this world, would you now use us to reach others for you, use us to to bring many into your kingdom, to set people free from addiction, set people free from shame, set them on the path to eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.